If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Luke chapter 23. We are have come down to the last couple months of the privilege of being able to go through Luke's gospel. We've been at this for, I think, around two years. And you might say, why are we taking so many verses this morning? And one answer to that is because this is the trial in its whole between Pilate and Herod. And the other answer is, if we do this, we should be preaching the resurrection on Easter Sunday. So in God's providence, we, he's lined us up uh, with uh, the celebration of Easter and the resurrection of Christ. So here's what we read in Luke uh, 23, beginning of verse 1. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all of Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he had learned that he had belonged to Herod's jur jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had longed, desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him with splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with, one, with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people after examining him before you. Behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they cried all together, Away with this man! Release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in, in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I found no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries, 
that he should be crucified and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. A voice is powerful. At creation, the voice said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. At the Senate Judiciary Committee, Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee asked Ketanji Brown Jackson, can you give a definition for the word woman? Jackson, quote, can I provide a definition? No, I can't. Blackburn, you can't? Jackson, not in this context. I'm not a biologist. She's a brilliant, educated woman. And she can't? The voices are loud. There's voices that Jackson knows about. And they are loud. And when they are loud, she doesn't know what a woman is. Will Thompson, better known these days as Leah Thompson, won the NCAA Women's Championship, presented as a woman, though he formally com competed on the men's team. A male won the NCAA Women's Championship. How could this happen? Voices are loud, and voices are threatening. Look at verse 23, or chapter 23, verse 1 of Luke. And what we're going to do this morning is we're, we're just going to dive into this account and then when we're done, we're going to ask two questions. What voice matters most to me? And where do I see myself in this account? Here's what we read. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. The whole company is the Sanhedrin, 
We've already seen that the Sanhedrin gathered in the middle of the night to have an illegal trial that was first before Annas, then before Caiaphas, and then once the sun came up, they could technically have a legal trial, but it wasn't legal because they already had the charge. The, the court of justice that's supposed to gather the facts came with the verdict. And the verdict was, is that Jesus made himself out to be the son of God and therefore he's committed blasphemy. So the whole company of them, the Sanhedrin, arose and brought him before Pilate. Pilate is the fifth governor of the Roman province of Judea who has given charge under uh, Tiberius Caesar to keep the peace, to keep justice in this region. However, he's in political trouble already. Pilate and Caesar himself and Pilate and the Jews have already been in conflict before this event. Josephus and some of the other historians help us understand the political climate of those days. And uh, John MacArthur points out three events that have happened previous to this. And then, and then one event we see right in uh, Luke 13. Uh, to summarize them just quickly, Pilate had set soldiers into Jerusalem one night bearing standards with the image of Caesar on them, which offended the Jews greatly. And then when they began to protest, he threatened to kill the protesters. Pilate's superiors were furious with him. He's to keep the peace, and he's sending soldiers in with pictures of Caesar on the shield. Keep the peace, Pilate. The Jews are within your jurisdiction. You don't need to drum up problems. We, we got enough problems of our own. Pilate also inflamed the Jewish people by using money from the temple treasury to build an aqueduct to bring more water to Jerusalem. And when the Jews were outraged, Pilate sent soldiers dressed as civilians uh, with civilian clothing into the crowd and on a signal he ordered them to attack and he killed many of them, which just enraged them more. And in a, on another occasion, he had shields made in honor of Tiberius Caesar that said Tiberius the divine and put it in Herod's palace in Jerusalem. And word got back to Tiberius and he was furious with Pilate and demanded that they be put in a pagan temple and not in the palace where Herod was. And then on top of all of that, we read in Luke 13 that Pilate had slaughtered some of the Galileans that were under Herod's jurisdiction with the sacrifices and so this is the state that Pilate's in. 
politically. And the Sanhedrin comes to Pilate. And in verse 2 we read, they began to accuse him. Now, Pilate doesn't like the Sanhedrin. And they don't like him. John's gospel tells us, tells us a little more detail on how this starts. They led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. This is John 18, 28. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover that night. They couldn't enter into a Gentile uh, home. So Pilate went outside and said to them, what accusation do you bring against, the, against this man? Essentially, you better have some evidence. They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. <laughs> oh, really? So you, what evidence do you have? Oh, you think we would bring this man before you if he wasn't doing evil? This is not a friendly exchange. Neither one of them respect each other. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And that's what they want to do. They don't have valid charges. They just want him put to death. And they need Pilate to do it. And so back to Luke in, in verse 2 of chapter 23, they begin to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation. Now, the grounds for Jesus' death changes. With the Sanhedrin, it was blasphemy because he called himself the Son of God. Pilate could care less about that. So now they got to bring charges that Pilate's going to care about. He's misleading our nation. He's creating a disruption. Some of the early Jewish writings in the writings of the Sanhedrin in uh, 43a, it says that Jesus practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. So he put a curse on them. He's misleading the nation. He's creating all these problems. And then that's related to a second charge and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. This is a bold-faced lie. He's not refusing to let them or forbidding them to give tribute to Caesar. In Luke chapter 20, verse 22, they asked him, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God." He said, no, give tribute, give them the tax, give them the coin. Bold-faced lie. And saying that he himself is Christ a king. They're saying, isn't Caesar king? And he's saying he's a king and he's building a riot and he doesn't want people to give tribute to Caesar. He's claiming to be a king.
John MacArthur writes, while Jesus is a king, his kingdom at his first advent was not an earthly one in opposition to Rome, as he would have soon, as he would soon make clear to Pilate. It wasn't a political kingdom. In fact, if you remember back in Luke chapter 17, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he said the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's inside your hearts. The kingdom of God is spreading through people who put their faith in Christ. It's an invisible kingdom. But he says in a little while, it'll be like lightning from heaven that you'll see from one end of the sky to the other. When Jesus comes in that day, every political rule will be put down. But Jesus is not a threat to the political rule of Rome. Proof by Pilate's own words over and over again in this account. Verse 3, Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You have said so. John gives us a, a, a little more context in John 18, 13. Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He answered, Do you say this of your own accord or do others say it about me? Here's what Jesus is getting at. You're worried about if I'm a king that's a threat to Caesar. They're worried that I'm the son of God and therefore blaspheming. So which question is coming? Which question are you asking? Are you asking their question? Or are you asking your question? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So now he knows it's their question. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, our ears should perk. And for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. He came for the truth. He came for the truth, to bear witness to the truth, to the facts, to reality. Pilate said, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews, to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. So let's go to back to verse 4 of Luke. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and crowds, I find no guilt in this man. That's a clear statement. They brought the charges. Pilate examines them and says, I find no guilt. No guilt. But they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all of Judea from Galilee, even to this place. They're putting political pressure on Pilate. 
He's a problem for you. He's stirring up riots. You got to keep riots from happening. When Pilate heard this, heard that he stirred up problems, even in Galilee to this place, he had got an idea. Because <laughs> he's been being put in a very difficult circumstance. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether he was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. So this is Herod Antipas. He ruled over the region of Galilee and Perea as a client state of the emperor of the Roman emperor. Uh, so his grandfather was an Idumenian convert to Judaism. So the Jews never viewed him as a pure blood Jew. They didn't like him either. And then he went and was trained in Rome. And uh, because he was trained in Rome, uh, he was able to uh, be allowed and to be recognized by Caesar to be one of four rulers. Uh, his father, Herod the Great, when Jesus was born, uh, when when he gave up his kingdom in 4 BC, he split it between four brothers. And so he thinks, I'll send him over to Herod. Herod was excited to see him. Herod, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had longed to see him because he had heard about him. He was hoping to see a sign done by him. Back in Luke 9, 9, Herod said, who is this that I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Well, now he finally has his chance. He finally gets to see him. Jesus taught in Luke 11, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it, but the sign of Jonah. Herod was a part of this evil generation that just wanted to be entertained by Christ, wanted to see some miracle done by him. And Herod, with his soldiers, uh, are, in verse 9 it says, so he questioned him at some length, but he gave no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, vehemently saying he's stirring up wrath. To Herod, they'd be saying... He makes himself the son of God. It's blasphemy. He makes himself a king. They just won't be quiet. The voices are so loud. And Herod and his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraigned him with splendid clothing. He sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. Before this, they had been in enmity with each other. They both hated the Sanhedrin equally, I think. Both Herod and Pilate. They're both being put in a difficult circumstance. Neither one of them want to deal with the political consequences of dealing with Jesus because just a few days before this, they were hailing him king as he and the son of David as he rode on a donkey into Jerusalem. Then we read in verse 13, Pilate 
called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people. In John 19, 14, we find out it's about six in the morning on Friday. It says about the sixth hour is when they gathered. Sun has barely been up an hour. He was before Pilate. Pilate said, I don't find any guilt in him. Send him to Herod. Herod can't get him to speak. Finds no guilt in him. Sends him back to Pilate. Verse 14. Pilate called together, or in verse 13, Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. After examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Second time. Not guilty. I've heard your charges. You have no credible witnesses. This man, as I look at him, presents no political threat to Rome. This would be laughable in Pilate's mind. Where's his army? Where's proof that he doesn't let people pay taxes? And then he says, neither did Herod. This is in the emphatic position in the original text. For he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Nothing deserving death has been done by him. Pilate's job is to be just. To protect his king, Tiberius Caesar, and give right judgments and keep riots from happening. And he's saying, I've looked at the facts. This is how trials go. I've listened, and now twice I've told you, not guilty. Herod says, not guilty. And so then he says, look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I'll punish and release him. Already he's a coward. He doesn't deserve a punishment. But he thinks, I'll beat him up. Maybe that will satisfy them. Maybe that will get him out of this difficult situation. And then in verse 18, but they cried out together, away with this man, release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for what? Insurrection and murder. Why are they saying Jesus should be killed? He's an insurrectionist. He's trying to overthrow Rome. And they're calling for Barabbas. They're calling for Barabbas. His name means son of a father. The people have a choice to choose between. The son of an earthly father or the son of the heavenly father. They're calling for Barabbas. In Matthew 27, just to b give you some more details, in verse 15, we read, Now at the, feast of the uh, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd one prisoner whom they wanted. And, when, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas 
or Jesus, who is called Christ. Finally, he's found a way out. He's going around the Sanhedrin. He's asking the people what they want. The people, a couple days before, were hailing him as king. So now he's putting pressure on the Sanhedrin, trying to get the people to go against them. Who do you want me to release? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife said to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much because of him in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So you see what's going on? Pressure. The average person that was there saying, I think it's the son of David. I saw the miracles. Now your religious leaders, the ones in power, are saying, you better ask for Barabbas. You better ask for Barabbas. The voices are strong. Are you going to go against the religious leadership of Israel? The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? They said, Barabbas. <laughs> now back to Luke 23, 20. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. The voices are getting louder. In John 19, I just want to give you more context here. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Who in the world am I dealing with? Never has he had someone being falsely accused who won't defend himself. Surely he's seen people falsely accused, and what do they do? They vehemently defend themselves, but this one is being falsely accused and he is like a lamb that is silent before its shears. And now they believe he's the son of God? So he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? Jesus gave no answer. So Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus said to him, you would have no authority over me unless it has been granted to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. That's the Jews, the Jewish leadership. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone of the Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. And in verse 14, he said to the Jews, behold your king. This is your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest says, 
we have no king but Caesar. You thought they were religious leaders. Religious leaders who were political, self-seeking, businessmen, liking the praise of man. But what was true came out of their mouth. Jesus said, from out of the heart, the mouth speaks. They couldn't help themselves. We have no king but Caesar. All right, back to Luke 22. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I found no guilt. I, I found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him, but they were urgent. That word urgent in the Greek means they literally kept pressing him. It's in the imperfect tense. It's like they won't stop. That term is actually used of the storm that, that hit the ship that Paul was on uh, in uh, Acts. They, were, they, they kept pressing in on him. So the, of the storm it said, uh, it was no small, no small tempest lay on us. All our hope of being saved was at last abandoned. So these voices are not small voices. They're loud voices. They're continuous voices. They're voices that are pressing in harder and harder and harder. And they're saying, you really want to commit political suicide? If you make yourself a friend of this one who says he's a king, you're no friend of Caesar. And so Pilate is in a tough spot. Out of his own mouth, he's declared him innocent. His job is to be a just judge, to do what's right, but there's voices. So we read, they kept pressing, or, but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. Their voices prevail. Jesus came to testify to the truth. Pilate came to testify to the truth with limits until it wasn't expedient for him. These voices are too threatening. They're going to cost him his position, his power. And then we read, he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. That was his, the thing he finally did. Matthew gives us a little bit more information what happens right after this. Matthew 27, 27 says, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. They gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, pressing together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his hand, 
And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, the king of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes and led him away to crucify him. MacArthur says, Now Pilate was in the unenviable position of not only having to execute a man that he had officially declared innocent and a breach of justice, but also being forced to release a dangerous revolutionary, a breach of duty. He's supposed to stop insurrectionists, not let him go. But he didn't because voices were loud. He stood in judgment over Christ ultimately. Even though John 5.22 says the Father judges no one but has given all judgment into the, the hands of the Son. His fear did not bring him ultimately to the place of truth. He must not have really believed he was going to stand before Christ. He must not have really believed that he was the Son of God, that he would be the judge over his life one commentator, Stein, says, numerous attempts have been made to absolve Pontius Pilate from the part he played in Jesus' crucifixion. He is understood by some as a man caught in tragic circumstances and pressed into doing something he really didn't want to do. No sympathy, however, should be lost over a man who willingly executed someone he knew to be innocent. The one human being who had the most to do with Jesus' crucifixion was Pontius Pilate. He had the authority to release an innocent man or crucify him. He chose the latter to preserve his own political career. And as a result, history and the church will always confess that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. In our creeds, in Peter's sermon and Acts 4.24, where he says the kings of this earth set themselves, the rulers of this uh, were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. While this horrible injustice is being done, God's plan is being done. God predestined this to take place. Herod did what he did because he's evil. Pilate did what he did because he's evil. The Jewish leadership did what they did because they're evil. In fact, when Peter's preaching in Acts, they're saying these, these people intend to bring his blood upon our heads. And yet... What did they say? Let his blood be on our heads. Crucify him. So let's look at your notes. What voice matters most to me? 
The voice of truth or the voice of expedience? The definition for that is that which is convenient and practical, although possibly improper or immoral. Which voice matters most to me and to you? Which voice matters? The voice that said, I created them in our image, male and female. Does that voice louder or the voice of a culture that is in rebellion to God? A judge that's to do justice on the U.S. Supreme Court does not know. She knows. Yet there's voices. And there's political power. And there's a goal. The way you answer that question will be determined ultimately by where your hope is most found. If your hope is found in becoming a judge, you better not know what a woman is. If your hope is found in getting along with everyone at work, then you better just keep your mouth shut about what Christ says. If your goal is just being a nice guy and always keeping the peace, well, then you better delete Christ's words from your mouth because he didn't come to bring peace but a sword and even divide families in half. And there's voices. Some of the voices are your parents. Some of the voices are your bosses. Some of the voices are political voices. And what will determine which voice you follow will be where your hope most lies in any given moment. If your hope is found in Christ and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, and standing before him on that day, you will stand with Christ's voice. And in any, any given moment, Christian, you put your hopes in keeping your job, keeping the peace, fill in the blank, you find out what the idol of your heart is in that moment. Because voices challenge us. Peter had the voice of a little girl. Just too loud. More loud than he could handle. Now when he made eye contact with Christ, he wept. He repented. That same Peter is going to stand up boldly and declare the truth unto death. Very shortly after this in Luke's account in Acts. And this second question is this. Where do I see myself in this account? Maybe some of you don't know Jesus Christ. You never realized what he did for you. You just thought being a Christian was doing good things or being nice. Or maybe some of you 
know all the head knowledge, but you've never really loved him. You've never really been broken over your sin. Therefore, you've never repented and trusted in him and, and have been saved. It's likely there's some here that have gone to church their whole life and have only ever had it in their head and never really understood their rebellion. So maybe you could see yourself in Pilate. You come to church, you'll follow Christ just as long as it doesn't cost you anything. Christians, where are we? We're in a man called Barabbas. That's where we are. An insurrectionist, a rebel, a murderer. Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart towards a brother, you've committed murder in your heart. What is sin but rebellion to the throne and voice to God? Look at this. What is happening? An innocent man is being condemned to death and bearing the punishment the murderer and insurrectionist deserves. And the murderer and insurrectionist is going free. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nobody's saved because they're good. Until you see yourself in the position of Barabbas, a rebel before the throne of God, and see Jesus dying in the place where you deserve to die and clinging to that. When you see that, I mean, what must Barabbas have thought? The innocent man declared innocent is dying in his place. As I look at this account and I look at what everyone's doing, everyone is seeking to save his life. Peter's seeking to save his life. Pilate's seeking to save his life. The Sanhedrin's seeking to save their life and their position. The people being threatened by the Sanhedrin are seeking to save their life. And there's one man who's not seeking to save his life, but is willingly laying it down. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus back in Luke 9.23 said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and, for, and loses and forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will save it. A few years later, Pilate got out of this one seemingly unscathed. A few years later, some Jews were going up Mount Gerizim to try to find some relics that Moses had maybe left behind. Word got to Pilate that maybe an insurrection was 
beginning, he sent soldiers up and he attacked them. This was his last political mistake. He was removed from his position. He lost his political power anyway. What is it worth if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Following Jesus Christ is tough. Probably not going to get on the Supreme Court because you'd actually have to answer questions and not just be political. You're probably not going to make it in politics very high. You can run. Not a very good chance of winning. If Christ is your king, if he's your hope, if you see yourself standing before him. But my question for you and my question for myself is, we're going to listen to his voice. Christ came to bear witness to the truth. And then he said, whoever listens or hears my voice is with me. Let's be those who don't try to save our life in this world, but cling to the only one who can give life. Father, we live in a world that attitude towards truth is like Pilate's when he chuckles and says, what is truth? Yeah, you've given us Jesus Christ. He's the embodiment of truth. You've given us the gospel. You've given us the guarantee of resurrected bodies so that we can boldly stand in the face of death and speak the truth to a world that needs sac- self-sacrificial love. They, they need to see what it looks like. Father, would you make us at Sovereign Grace people like that? Would people know us more as a Jesus person than a political person? Or as just merely a conservative? Would they know us as those who, with our lives, we follow Christ? Lord, we ask that you would do that work in us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.